Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Streaming Water Podcast. It's the podcast where we talk about all things Colorado water and wastewater. We appreciate you listening. Our our listeners have increased since we started this in April, and, and subscribers have increased as well, and, and we thank you for that. If uh, you like the podcast, we ask that you tell a friend. We don't have a, we don't have a huge advertising budget, so word of mouth is the way we're we're getting our name out there. So if you like the show and you like the content and you know someone who might be interested, let them know about Streaming Water Podcast also. Uh, today we're uh, going to talk about a subject that's close to my heart and uh, it's, it's one of the most important jobs really in the water and wastewater industry uh, that's on the front lines of keeping water clean and the environment protected. Uh, the job's a, wa- a wastewater operator or a water operator is, is the counterpart on the drinking water side but a water operator is, is like I say on the front lines of of running the facilities that, that clean the water that clean the wastewater that goes back into the environment and really uh, really does the the day-to-day grind of, of what we do in the industry so I have with me today a good friend and uh, a previous colleague and a past RMWA president a retired operator who uh, has been in the business a while, Kevin Hill, with us today. Many of you might know Kevin from the RMWA or his work at uh, Littleton Inglewood Wastewater Plant. So welcome, Kevin. Thanks for being here today. It's uh, really good to be here, Blair. Thanks for calling me in and giving me something to do in my uh, <laughs> in the middle of the day. Here. Getting bored these days? Uh, not too much, but there is a little bit of time to, that you have to fill every now and then. Yeah. And might as well seize the opportunity. That's right. Well, appreciate you being here. Uh, Kevin, if you could, can you just run us through, you know, I know you were in the business for a while, but give us a little history of of your background and, and uh, what you did in the business. Alrighty, uh, I was a wastewater treatment plant operator at the Little Tenanglewood Wastewater Treatment Plant. Um, getting into it uh, was an accident. It was a totally I need a job type of uh, situation. Oh. Um, I went to college for two years, uh, English and communications and discovered after a while that maybe being a teacher going into academia really wasn't that for me so decided to take some time off got a job as a uh, diesel uh, mechanic apprentice at uh, what was then public service company now excel energy and a month and a half into my employment i was playing uh, ultimate frisbee ultimate and i tore my right acl oh and this was 19, summer of 1979. And uh, back then, the surgeries were way different than they are now. And I spent uh, eight weeks in a cast, uh, got a foot-long scar on my knee from the surgery. And after I got out of the cast, I just needed a job. Um, I was living with my parents, but uh, I'm one of those guys that I got to be out of the nest early. And so I went to the city of Lakewood City Hall thinking maybe I can get on Parks and Rec Department or something. And I saw an ad, wastewater treatment plan operator for the city of Englewood, $864 a month, no experience required. Wow. So I went down and applied and uh, got an interview, which is comical in itself. (laughs) And three days later, uh, I had a job in started out on my career. Mm. 
just uh, just uh, I say comical because the interview consisted truthfully now of three questions. Do you know what we do here? Was the first question. Well, I knew it was a sewer plant yeah. back in my way of thinking. Do you know what an adjustable wrench is? Yes, I know what an adjustable wrench is. And can you handle odors? I said, well, my half of my family's from a farm and I grew up as a young boy in a rural atmosphere, so yeah, I can handle stink. Three days later, I had the job. Well, you checked all the boxes, and, uh, huh? Apparently. <laughs> that might, we might have to go back to interviews that way. Yeah. Short and sweet, <laughs> get what you need to know out there. Well, good. Yeah, I found uh, most of the operators I've uh, worked with or met in this business, a majority of them never started out saying, I want to be a, a water or wastewater operator. It's like a, right. it doesn't come to you till till later when you think about things like stability and benefits and, and you know, work-life balance, although that word probably wasn't around when uh, when you were starting out. But <laughs> Yeah, so how long were you at the, how long were you in the career? Uh, 38 years. Uh, Excuse me. I began my career in October of 1979, so I was just out of that cast of my legger injury, and I didn't tell them that I had a gimpy leg, (laughs) and uh, went to rehab after getting off a shift for about a year, and uh, continued on in the field. Uh, 38 years. Initially, it was just uh, a stopping point until I figured out what I wanted to do, until the industry showed what it had to me. And uh, I was not a science guy at all. Um, I was a humanities type of person. And uh, I said, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. So I went back to school at the same time uh, as I began my career and was working third shift and going to school at night and eventually got the education I needed and hmm. continued on. So you got in it and fell in love with it and never looked back. There, huh? Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. And the benefits. And one other instance, I obtained my C certification. At the same time, the city decided to benchmark salaries uh, bring them up to market, and overnight I got a 58% increase in wage. Wow, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, the golden handcuffs slammed shut uh, <laughs> pretty much at that point. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, good. What uh, What do you do when you're not, well, I know you're retired now, so what, what do you do as far as hobbies or uh, free time now? Nowadays is a lot more calm than my earlier wild days in the mountains. Uh, I was doing a lot of mountaineering, a lot of skiing, a lot of biking as a younger man. Now I tend to focus on cooking, uh, all sorts of kitchen type of activities. I know that sounds uh, thrilling, but uh, I uh, ferment uh, my own products. I pickle my own products. As a matter of fact, I brought you a jar jar of my pickles there. Thanks. All right. I've heard... uh... And I've seen when you still worked here, when I started at uh, South Platte Water and Oil Partners, some of the, and, and visited for the cook-offs and the chili contests and uh, a lot of the food-related events. I, I saw your work there and was impressed. Yeah, it, it, it gives me a level of, it's a creative outlet the way I look at it. Um, 
just imagining flavors, putting them together, or opening up the fridge and whatever you got, you make something out of it. Uh, it's a challenge, and uh, I really enjoy it. Keeps me off the street. Yeah, that's good. I also have a small collector car. It's a 1959 Austin Healy Sprite. And, oh. uh, so I spent some time on that. I learned uh, how to do some upholstery over the winter, and it, it came out all right. I'm happy with it. It's not a professional job, but... Uh, what do you do with it? Do you uh, put it in shows or parades? You go on parades? Yeah, I've been in uh, parades, uh, informal car shows. It's not a Concours type of car whatsoever, but it's in really, really good condition, so it shows well. And it's just a blast to drive. It's uh, not a fast car, but uh, it's like a little go-kart and uh, very, very tiny. Uh, I'm six foot tall, and you wouldn't think I fit in it, but I do. And uh, it's just a fun, fun thing to keep me busy. It's got old British electronics in it, oh. which I have to learn about in order to fix it. So those uh, the small ones are good. Those are the ones that you're so low to the ground, it feels like you're going a uh, hundred miles an hour when you're going thirty. Yeah, you know? I, I look up at a Prius when we're together at a stop. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Here's an interesting question for you. If you were uh, stuck for eternity at a wastewater plant that had a record player available, what one record, you can only bring one record, one album, what would you bring to uh, with you? You know, uh, you fed me that question in advance, and uh, I didn't have to think about it too long. The uh, album would be by The Grateful Dead. Uh, the Europe 72 album. All right. Uh, it's a triple disc album. Very so, good thinking. You get so, three for the price of There you go. And yeah. it's also historically significant in uh, Grateful Dead culture. It was the first time that uh, Keith and Donna played on a record with the band and the last time uh, Ron Pigpen McKernan played with the band. Oh. So... Cool. Are you a uh, are you a deadhead? Would you call yourself a deadhead? I I would yeah. proudly, unabashedly. Yeah, yes. yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, get into some some more wastewater operator type questions. Can you tell me, in your eyes, what what does a wastewater operator do? What what if I, if you're an operator, what do you spend your time doing all day? Uh, well, if you liken it to a a race team, uh, you're driving the car. <laughs> Uh, basically you have all this other support with engineering and and mechanics and things like that but you're actually driving the car you're out there collecting the samples proving that uh, the process is working watching the uh, population of microorganisms which do 100 percent of the job 99 percent of the job here for reducing pollution um, learning about the equipment what it does how to uh, listen, feel, touch, look uh, to avoid any potential problems. I'm glad you didn't throw taste in there. No, yeah, that, that, gonna throw that, one. Uh, that happens <laughs> accidentally. Back, well, mostly back in the old days, a lot has changed. But uh, yeah, it, uh, so you're you're running the plant. You're turning the valves. You're adjusting airflows. You're uh, with a reason, with a purpose, and with the knowledge behind your actions. Yeah, I always think it's uh, funny that. You know, you mentioned benefits and, and that sort of thing, but the hardest working, 
hardest workers at the plant are those microbes. They get no benefits. I guess they get room and board and food. Right, and, and then when the, there's too many of them, we knock them off. Right, yeah. that's a lot of things they get. But. <laughs> All right, well, you said you started in 79, uh, which coincidentally, I just learned this the other day, and it freaked me out. But that is only two years later, if you can believe this, than the high five was invented. First high five, really? 1977. Wow. I know. Can you imagine that? I thought that, they were doing that since the 30s, 40s. Right. Which they made videos. Someone go back. You'll never see a high five before 77. I wow. Guess. That's yeah. the year I graduated high school. Really? I mean, yeah. I don't even remember high fives back then. Yeah. You don't remember any high fives in high school, no, do you? No, no. Yeah. I heard that. I was huh. dumbfounded. It doesn't take much to dumbfound me, but that one, that was one of the, the many. Um, all right. So you started in 79 and you ended in. Uh, when did, what year did 2017. you retire? 2017. So over that span, what uh, what changed from there? I know you're kind of the uh, you're the operator they talk about, right? It came in after the Clean Water Act revisions, you know, in the early 70s, and plants started getting built at late 70s, early 80s, and and you're the brain drain that left, and then the knowledge we need to keep. But what what uh, changed in the, in the time span there from? 77 to two thousand. Uh, pretty much everything in the, in the industry changed, <laughs> and all of it for the better, I gotta say. Um, Littleton Englewood uh, was only two years old when I began my career, and um, it was a new thought in wastewater treatment. Let's build these big joint use regional facilities. As a matter of fact, it used to be called the Littleton Englewood joint use wastewater treat regional wastewater treatment plant uh, that was its original name and uh, a lot of technology a lot of money went into constructing wastewater treatment plants to meet the clean water act upgrades of the previous federal water pollution control act <laughs> and uh, mistakes were made people you know um, we just didn't know what we were doing, we hadn't learned uh, enough lessons to make really, really good decisions. And consequently, immediately upon opening a brand new facility, it went into a miscellaneous improvements project because it was, oops, we missed that, oops, we missed that. Yeah. Uh, the technology, uh, although advanced for the time, it was pure oxygen activated sludge. And uh, it just never really worked. Um, so a lot of technological challenges, the engineers had to learn right alongside the operators. Yeah. Um, training has definitely improved over the years. Uh, I, I was tossed into it. Uh, there were very, very few opportunities to get training to advance your career. Just uh, the working conditions um, and most importantly, safety. When I look back on some of the things that were routine practice back in the day, uh, I shudder to think how I survived oh, some yeah. of them. Because uh, without knowledge, you tend to make some decisions that could negatively affect uh, your health and, I mean, your well-being and yeah. everything. And I have had a lot of close calls, and it was simply... I didn't have the knowledge, the organization didn't have the knowledge, and the industry itself was slow to get that knowledge out oh. to the front line. 
For instance, uh, we used to use uh, liquid chlorine. And I'm not misspeaking, most places that still use gaseous chlorine use the gaseous side of the one-ton cylinder. We, we use liquid. We tapped into the liquid side and then ran it through an evaporator, which kind of heated it up and uh, turned it into gas. Thinking back then, that was going to be more efficient. Then it went to a chlorinator for application of the chlorine contact basins. Well, evaporators fail, and I happened to be in the building with another long-term colleague who's still in the industry, Greg Farmer. As we looked at the chlorinator and saw liquid chlorine coming up the rotometer, and we looked at each other and said, this isn't good. And probably five minutes later after we exited the building, a lot of the rubber seals holding everything together just disintegrated and uh, flooded the entire building wow. with gaseous chlorine. It was, you know, that, uh, that's scary based on current knowledge and even knowledge back then. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's stressed a little more these days is industrial safety. And I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah. Just all aspects of industrial safety have improved big time. The technology, automation, hardly anyone really turns a valve anymore out there as an operator. Smaller plants without the automation, maybe, but uh, the educational opportunities are greatly expanded. Uh, there's uh, well-known schools now that have established themselves. They began back when I began, but uh, now it, it, it's sort of becoming recognized as a valid trade and a uh, a valid occupational choice for those looking for something to do. Yeah, it seems like uh, all the major universities and junior colleges, Front Range, Red Rocks, Metro School, it seems like all of them have their hands some way in the, you know, teaching young people either to be engineers or operators or water quality, you know, specialists. So right. and I've seen that grow too over the years. That's, yeah. that's good. It's all good. All right, well, I think we're at our our mid-show segment, and I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about five things. You know, most, I don't know about most people, but a lot of people are are getting back to work at least more than they have been during the quarantine. So I wanted to give, uh, and you can can, uh, add in if you have any any suggestions, but five things to help you as you get back to the office from working at home in your basement or your backyard or your your treehouse or wherever you've been setting up your zoom meetings a lot of uh, a lot of us are getting back to the office so the first one i think uh don't forget to wear pants you know it's been a oh. it's been kind of a pantsless culture at your house it's been a, the human mullet approach of business up top and and you know maybe some sweats down below so uh you got to get used to wearing pants again maybe they might still be in the hamper from a few months ago you got to get them out get them ironed and and get ready uh, next thing would be uh, when you get back to work, check for that leftover uh, casserole or, or dish of leftovers you left in the fridge. People left in a hurry. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of fridge cleaning when they get back. Another one I thought of, we can learn something from these Zoom meetings. And people have, you've probably seen the backgrounds where they say, oh, you're in the mountains. Oh, right. I see you're in front of the Colosseum in, in Rome. Or I think we bring those for real. I think you get one of those printed, you put it on a poster board, set it behind you during a real meeting. And uh, then you can keep that. People saying, oh, I see you're at the Grand Canyon, you know, and, yeah. and mix up the meetings a little bit. Right. Uh, number four, start relearning your coworkers' names. 
Uh, you may have forgotten a lot of your coworkers. Uh, use mnemonic devices or or whatever you need. Get ready to see see your coworkers again and be able to call them by name. And uh, the fifth tip: make uh, your increased drive time. And this one hits home to me. I used to, you know, I come down I-25 for my just about a 40 minute, 45 minute drive. Uh, but during quarantine, it was a 15, 20 minute drive. But it's it's getting back to 45 minutes. So. Get ready for that increased drive time by listening to uh, Streaming Water Podcast or uh, another uh, water or other podcast. Those are my tips. You got any tips for getting back in? Well, being a retired guy at uh, staying home, it didn't require a big adjustment. Yeah? Uh, yeah. These tips mean nothing to you, huh? <laughs> the, the first one about, you know, don't forget your pants. That's important. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's get back into some more questions. This is good. What tips uh, do you have for beginning operators or those thinking about, you know, maybe or maybe not thinking about, but but should be thinking about a career in operations or in the business? What tips do you have for, for young people coming? Are people looking for a career change? Uh, I'd say go for it. I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of young people, high school, uh, perhaps people looking for a career path and uh, to talk about water and wastewater treatment. And, uh, you know, the first thing they, they think of naturally is uh, poopy and oh, and all of that. Uh, make available opportunities to just show them exactly what's going on, the cool machines and, and everything like that. Uh, when I was still working, I... Uh, used to love giving tour groups to like sixth graders because I'd uh, take them down to Headworks and uh, they'd, they'd look over the railing down into the water coming into the bar screens and uh, they were all grossed out until I said, hey, look what you could do and lean over and spit down into the channel. <laughs> uh, I was seeing half a dozen young kids spitting into the channel and they put the biggest smile on their face. I thought it was great. Uh, new operators, just pay attention, learn everything you can uh, and maybe glom onto a mentor. Uh, you end up yeah. coming by somebody who you respect and they seem smart and uh, you know have a mentor I, uh, I had a, a few mentors coming up through my career that uh, as I got older and after I retired I they were integral to my development and my progress in yeah. the field yeah it is good to have have friends and mentors and, and mentees you know in, mm. in the industry to to keep communication and figure out a lot more together than, than being all alone. Absolutely. It, so. And don't don't be afraid of the science. Uh, once, uh, my problem was that I couldn't relate the science to anything in real life when I was uh, in high school. That was just the way my brain's wired. But yeah. once, I, once I could uh, relate to it, it was just like, ah, Oh, that's what it happens. Oh, that's the stoichiometric. Uh, that's what. Oh, that's why that's important. That that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid of it. It's it's learning a different language is all it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, I've seen it too. We've had news crews out, you know, recently doing a story on high tech stuff. You know, as far as looking for for COVID nineteen and the ways why we're real high tech, but. When you when the new story comes out, there's always the first part of it is a toilet flushing or right. a, 
or a emoji of a of a of a turd or you know right. some of that. It's amazing how that is the first thing. Anyone you talk to, if I talk to friends and or you know, you go to a party, you go to your your wife's uh, work party, you tell them what you do. The first thing that comes to their mind is well. I got a toilet leak or, you know, it's toilets and it's flushing and it's, which is not the business, but it always gets me how that's always the first thing they got to put on a news story is the toilet flushing, you exactly. know, when they're really behind the scenes, you're talking technology and RNA and, and all these cool, cool things. So, Little bugs doing their job. Yeah. yeah. All right. What are the, uh, you mentioned some of this, you mentioned the science, you mentioned that you needed to know, uh, about a wrench but what are what are the most important skills you think in operations what uh, what do you use every day well you have to have some amount of dedication because uh, it's a 24 7 uh, type of job uh, there has to be an operator operating a plant 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah. regardless if you do it remotely like a lot of smaller plants are able to do I uh, worked on more holidays than I had off over my 38 years. Yeah. Um, family has to be supportive. Uh, you have to be able to develop good relationships with people because you're going to be talking with contractors. You're going to be talking with your managers, uh, the public. Uh, as you say, you go to a party and uh, I used to think as representing the industry, uh, I considered myself a professional environmentalist. I was actually doing cleaning up the water. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciated that aspect of it. So flexibility uh, is really, really important. Things change. Uh, adaptability, uh, the new technology comes along, new science, new regulations come along. You're faced with regulatory challenges that may require process challenges that may not fit with the design of your current facility but you make it work anyway yeah uh, that type of, uh, of an attitude what professional accomplishment are you most proud of you've done a lot I know you were you're president of the RMD at WEA I know you were a, a supervisor of operations when you when you left I know you've done a lot what is what are you most proud of that you've well, you mentioned president. I gotta, I gotta put that up there. Probably is the best one. There, there, there's a whole lot. Uh, I've won uh, RMWEA awards, uh, uh, the Hatfield Award, the Bedell Award from WEF. Um, those are those are nice accomplishments. I'm I'm rightfully proud. Kevin, you are also a revered member of the Select Society of Sanitary Sludge Shovelers, are you not? Yeah, I was going to throw That's probably the biggest <laughs> honor uh, I think that I've received in my career. But uh, the biggest accomplishment was president. Uh, it, it was uh, all because of Operations Challenge, which is another aspect that I discovered in the field. Uh, a team sport that tests wastewater skills that's held at the National Tech, the, the conference and, and expo every year uh, moves around different cities and through operations challenge and i just volunteered to be on the team if no one else wanted to mm -hmm. no one else did i ended up on the team and it was another one of those wow this is cool moments and it afforded me uh, opportunities to travel uh, cities all over the country 
uh, representing RMWEA. Uh, after exposure to that and a subsequent national championship in 1999, I may add, first team other than California and Virginia. Nice. Do that. Um, that started, you know, that cemented the commandos as a, a legitimate national player. It also allowed us um, to put Littleton Anglewood on a national stage. Um, we took the name out there and people all over the country, not only because Operations Challenge, but because of the work we did, recognized uh, our facility. Through Operations Challenge, I got onto committee work and then one day was approached, hey, you want to be on the executive committee? Well, I'm an operator, eh? you know, uh, most of the people that were doing that were managers or uh, engineering consultants or equipment vendors, things like that. Uh, I thought about it and was humbled by the offer. And at the same time, I says, well, why can't an operator go that route? Others had before me, Wayne Ramey, Don Felke, many others. So uh, I hopped on that path, uh, another uh, learning curve to satisfy. And in 2009, 2010, uh, served as RMWA president. Nice. Uh, I think that's, that's probably my greatest professional accomplishment. And uh, I, uh, when I was president, RMWA uh, decided to offer one uh, PWO seminar that trains mostly operators uh, for free. And uh, that continues to this day. Yeah, that's a popular one. Yeah. People love that, uh, the free PWO. Good. Can I uh, talk more a little bit about that? You bet. Uh, my wife also works in the industry. She's a laboratory services manager and is currently vice president of RMWA. Uh, in September, she'll be president and uh, at that point, we will be the first husband and wife president uh, of RMWA uh, in their history since the organization began in 1936. Wow, congratulations. There have been fathers and sons, but never a husband and wife. So oh. That's a, you know, a personally fulfilling historical anecdote that means nothing <laughs> except uh, me and her but uh, no that's it's, good it's yeah. pretty cool yeah, yeah it is yeah i hope we didn't jinx it i hope we didn't jinx it. Yeah, when did she yeah. start knock on wood yeah right september <laughs> september yeah oh, all right she'll uh, bad she'll bad year it. to have her start doing this so she's got to get creative yeah there's a lot of changes with the conferences and training and and the things that organizations do are flipped on their head with this whole coronavirus deal i've seen a lot of hmm. I've seen it affecting a lot of groups, so I guess that's part of that adapting. And uh, it seems to be the go. theme of your life of kind of uh, and your success of of you know maybe falling into opportunities, but then making everything you can from those and and really leveraging where you're at at the time to to be the best you that's can right. be. So. Having your eyes open so you recognize that. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thanks, Kevin. Are you? Uh, what else you do you have anything that you wished i would have asked you that uh that i didn't ask you today uh nothing comes immediately to mind it's great just sitting here and and chatting about the the field we have to figure out how to 
keep uh, the momentum going and interest uh, younger people. You mentioned uh, the brain drain. My peer group, a lot of them have retired already. Yeah. Uh, most of them, and a lot are really close to retirement. A lot of knowledge goes away and organizations struggle with uh, how, to, how to capture that, how to capture that. I don't think you can ever capture all of it, but... Uh, but I guess that's why there's independent consultants. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> have you done any of that since you've no, been No, no. Uh, there have been a couple of opportunities that have come my way. Uh, I'm taking it easy. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm enjoying a different chapter. Yeah. And still keeping my uh, ears open and, and up on the industry. Uh, I maintain my certification. Uh, so you never know. Never say never. Yeah. Yeah, don't let those certifications lapse ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> Once you get those, that's a that's an achievement. You don't want to let those lapse. Right. All right. Well, are you ready for the uh, for the pop quiz, the end of show pop quiz? Pop quiz. This is pressure. Yeah. Okay. This is an operator quiz. So uh-huh. This will test your oh, uh, man. test your knowledge of operations and operators. So well, it's been two and a half years, so I may be rusty. All right. Well, the first question. In the song Operator by Jim Croce, are you familiar with the Operator? I am. Okay. I, ha- I have the album. I All right. Why does the guy need the Operator's help making the call? Is it A, his ex has changed her phone number? Is it B, uh, the number he had is old and faded? Is it C, he can't see the number through his tears? Or is it D, he doesn't have a dime for the call? I can't read the number that you just gave me. I'd say faded, old and faded. I, old and, that is correct. That is correct. The number is old and faded. I also would have accepted can't see it through his tears because the second time she gives him the number and then he can't see it because he's, he's got he's, something he's in his too, eyes. Right, says, right, yeah, right. Yeah. All right, very good. Number two, uh, you're one for one. Uh, in the operations game, by Milton Bradley. Are you familiar with that, where you pick out the body parts with tweezers? and? I am. I wasn't good at it, and I never practiced, so I am familiar with that. I was never good at that either, but yeah. All right, in the operations game by Milton Bradley, which body part is uh, not there for you to extract? Is it A, the Adam's apple, B, the appendix, C, wishbone, or D, spare ribs? <laughs> Adam's apple, appendix, wishbone, spare ribs. Well, I've never heard of Adam's apple extraction before, so uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a guess at spare ribs. They're, they're for uh, spare ribs. Uh, I'm probably wrong, but spare ribs. <laughs> I'm sorry, spare ribs uh, is not correct. It is the appendix, uh, the spare ribs, which they don't really fit, but a lot of things. They have the bread basket in there you take out. They have uh, a broken heart. It's just, there's different things. I'm not but, as familiar as I thought I was. <laughs> well, that's a, that game was a old school there. All right, third question. You can still get two out of three. You can still get a, a 66% on this here. According to Spotify, and Newsweek in a 2017 article, what song do doctors listen? What song do doctors not listen to in the OR? Or what is the least popular song? Some of these, these three of these are going to be the most popular. One of them not. Uh, A, 
Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions. B, Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. C, If Tomorrow Never Comes by Garth Brooks. Or D, Just What the Doctor Ordered by Ted Nugent. Which uh, one of those is is the less popular? Oh, jeez. Really don't know the lyrics out of any of them. I'll just take a stab at B. B? Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Sweet Child of Mine. And I could see, uh, it was actually uh, If Tomorrow Never Comes by Garth Brooks. I I thought about that. Yeah, I think they must not like country. Well, well, I think that might be a message. I mean, if they're going through surgery and tomorrow for the patient. Okay. That's true. You wouldn't wouldn't want your doctor to listen to that. Failing miserably. (laughs) That's all right. I might have made these too hard. I might have made these too hard. I did see a Sweet Garth Brooks uh, documentary on Netflix the other night, though. That was a uh, it was good. That's what brought the Garth Brooks to mind. I appreciate him as a performer, <laughs> not much into his music. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Kevin, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day and sharing some of your experience and knowledge and and stories with us. It's been great. Uh, hopefully, we can have you back sometime on the podcast and get get deeper into some specific more specific topics or different topics but thanks a lot for being here it's been uh it's been great to be here blair uh, enjoy the pickles and anytime you want me back uh you got my number right on good to know yeah thanks for the pickles those look delicious you betcha. and my wife's out of town so maybe i'll get a few of them she's the big she's she loves pickles so i'm gonna have to eat a few of these before she gets home awesome <laughs> well save a couple for her she'll be, oh yeah then she'll know you've been thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah right all right and to our uh, listeners thanks for listening once again if you have any suggestions on show topics or uh have any feedback on the show you can get a hold of me at streamingwater at mail.com and uh, we please give us a rating on apple podcasts or whatever podcast player you're listening on uh give us a rating and some feedback on there if you get a chance we appreciate our our listeners and and hope you're enjoying the show so uh thank you kevin and thank you listeners thanks we'll see you next time on the streaming water podcast